This morning, uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 9. So if you turn in your Bibles there, uh, we can follow along. And we are in a section of Jesus doing miracles. And uh, as we look at uh, these miracles, I want to tell you that Jesus uh, was doing these and he was creating a reputation for himself as he went about uh, there was a following there was a gathering people were talking about Jesus Uh, we look uh, in the last few chapters we've seen him heal diseases as well as heal people who uh, cast out demons from them and so uh, obviously this would be something unusual and Jesus is showing himself to be a different kind of king, a king that has authority over all. And then this morning we are uh, beginning chapter 9. If you'd stand in honor of God's word, I'd like to read to you chapter uh, 9, verse 1 through verse 8. God's word says this, And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic, lying in a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is it easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk? but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God, who had given such authority to men. God, I I ask uh, your blessing on this time. We need your blessing on this time. God, we ask that you would walk us through this passage of your word, that you would help us to see clearly who Jesus is, that we might uh, embrace him, that we might follow him, that he might be our king. God, this morning I ask that you would meet our needs that are many and that you would reform our heart uh, to be one that thinks like you, that beats for the same thing and has passions for the same thing that you have. God, help us to let go of the sins of the past and the ways we think and the way we uh, talk uh, that just comes from this world. Thank you for this morning. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This section of the scripture, you see Jesus going from one place to another doing miracles. And doing things and and different people respond in different ways. But but Jesus is going about systematically showing them that he is different, that he is different. And this morning, I I want us to focus on Jesus because I I, I don't believe uh, that this passage is so much about the miracle. It's so much about the man. It's not about the crowds that followed afterwards. It's about Jesus showing himself to be the one who that they should follow. The one with authority. The one that is the true king. 
It's interesting this morning, um, we could stand up and give testimony of different people we've listened to, different thoughts that have directed our lives, different passions that we have followed after. And we could also tell and show the scars that came from such decisions. We could talk about the emptiness that came from chasing after a king that was really no king at all. And so this morning, as we look to this, we see Jesus. Uh, I was sharing with one of you this week that just the idea of appointments. It's almost like Jesus had appointments. He didn't tell anybody else about them, but he, he was, okay, I got to go see this person and heal them over here. I'm going to go uh, to this one house where they're kind of having an open house, and I'm going to heal those people. And uh, people that were struggling with demons, I was going to take care of that. And in fact, we're going to get in a boat, and on the way over there, I'm going to show my disciples uh, that I even have power over the wind and the sea. And then when I get there, I'm going to take care of these two guys that are, are filled with demons and take care of that. And then I'm going to come back over to this and, and then I'm going to meet this man. It's as if Jesus was doing this. And I, I want to tell you that that's really how life is. Uh, we may not see a rhyme or reason to it. that God's doing his work um, and that we see that on the pages as Matthew records Uh, what Jesus did and who he met. So it tells us in verse 1 that he gets back in the boat and he crosses over and he comes to what is referred to as his own city, which we know to be Capernaum, is where he kind of uh, did a lot of ministry through and that was his home base for a time. And so he comes to Capernaum and it says this, uh, it refers to Uh, this special man that uh, his friends bring. It says this in verse 2, And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. You can picture this. This uh, is a parallel passages in Mark chapter 2 and Luke chapter 5. It's the one where uh, they rip the roof off and they drop him down into the house. And Matthew doesn't record those details. Under the inspiration of God, he chose to look at other details. But the man is brought. He's brought by some people. We don't know how many, or uh, we assume that maybe two to six or something like that. I'm going to sneeze. Excuse me. (laughs) I'm not a prophet. I just felt it coming. going to be a I, I talked to my pharmacist and he said it was going to be a horrendous um, allergy season so we can look forward to that man is brought he is brought by his friends and they take him to see Jesus and it's obvious why right he's in a desperate state they hear that Jesus has come Uh, The crowd has told them that he has healed others. And so they bring this man. Uh, They bring him. They get him in the center before Jesus. And Jesus interacts with him. He says, it says, when Jesus saw their faith, meaning the faith of their friends. It's interesting that uh, it doesn't talk about so much the faith of the man, but of his friends. And they bring him to Jesus, having faith that Jesus can heal him. And that Jesus is the one 
that needs to uh, see this man. And, and he's the one. That, and they hear the stories and they believe them. And so they, they show uh, this man to Jesus. And Jesus acknowledges their faith. And he says to the man, take heart, take heart. My son, your sins are forgiven. That's hard for us to imagine. So the man doesn't walk. Uh, in fact, many of the crowd may have known the man doesn't walk. They may have seen him around, maybe begging, or maybe they knew of his his condition. And so uh, they bring him, and they know that his problem is that he doesn't walk. It's interesting, uh, in the time where Jesus was going to heal this man, it was thought to believe that all kinds of problems, all kinds of sickness was connected to sin. That when something bad happened to your life, it was because you sinned. There's a, a connection between sickness and sin in their minds. And that's not always true. That's not always true. Uh, there's many times where it is not connected to our sin. It's connected to being in a sinful world. But in their minds, most everything. And so uh, there would have been an assumption that that man, uh, that he had done some sin to deserve not being able to walk. I, I want to tell you also that many times our problems are connected to our sins, aren't they? We wake up one morning and we say, how did I get in this mess? And if we'd be able to see clearly, we'd know exactly how we got in this mess. We walked there. We made decisions and choices that got us into a situation that we were a mess. And you get this beautiful picture of a compassionate Christ where he looks upon this man in his inability to walk. And that's a huge deal, isn't it? That's not a small issue. That's a huge issue. And Jesus says, I'm even going to take on something bigger. I'm going to even bypass that issue. And I'm going to tell you, uh, first of all, he he encourages them. He says, be encouraged. Take courage. And the guy's going, I wonder if he's laying there going, I'm, I'm wanting to be encouraged. And then he says this, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Boy, that, that's big, isn't it? And I think that I, I want to put these side by side for us now this morning. What's your problem? What's your problem? And you say, oh, I got a whole list of problems. I don't just have one. You know, I, I struggle with discipline. I struggle with money. I struggle with my health. Uh, some of you, your health right now is one of those things where you're afraid to go anyplace because you don't have a trailer to bring about your medicines that follow you, right? Uh, and it's hard, you know, it's just complicated and your health is not good and you, you say, I, I struggle. I, I just have all these things and if God would just fix these things, everything would be okay. I want to tell you that the biggest issue Really, the core issue, the problem that we have is not our health. It's not our finances. It's not our kids or our marriage. It's not any of those things. It's the problem of our own personal sin. It's the biggest issue in life. And and this morning as you come, I'm not concerned 
uh, with those. Those are secondary issues. But the issue for us this morning is, are our sins forgiven? So Jesus looks to the man and uh, showing compassion on him and even acknowledging the faith of his friends. He says, your sins are forgiven. Well, um, immediately, and we don't know how they were, if they were part of the home and they could see or... Um, it says in verse 3, And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. Um, we, uh, we find out in the next verse, but Jesus knowing their thoughts. We don't know how all this happened. It doesn't necessarily mean that Jesus knew their thoughts because he was God come in the flesh. Um, you know, that they said, it says they said to themselves, this man is blaspheming. That could be a couple of different things. It could be that mumbling that some of us do in our marriage uh, when we want the other one to know we're displeased, but we really don't want them to hear the words, and we just kind of go, I don't know. What was that you said? Oh, nothing, nothing at all, nothing at all. Or maybe it was simply in their minds, and Jesus was kind of doing the parent thing, the parent thing. So we have kids here. You know what the parent thing is, right, kids? When your mom or dad says, I know what you're thinking. And, and, and you're actually thinking those things and you're going, I'm just not saying them because I don't want to get in trouble right now. Okay. Uh, you, you see this interaction between Jesus and these scribes that he knew what they were thinking, whether they were saying it or not, or if they were just mumbling about it. But he goes on to answer the thoughts that they had fumbling around in their heads. Their thought was this, that, that he was saying something that was sin, that was wicked. And it was of the highest wickedness, of the highest sin in, in their minds, that he was claiming to be God, to have the same authority and power that he could say, your sins are forgiven. And that they were connecting this, and they said, this is a, one of the granddaddies of sins right here. This is not something small. We know that he has just committed blasphemy. As Jesus knew their thoughts, he, he said to them, and he really answered their question for all to hear. Their question was, who does this man think he is? Does he think he's God? And Jesus answers them. And he first asked them, why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk? Uh, which is easier? And if you're answering like I would answer, neither of them are easy, right? This is not something, I couldn't, I couldn't do either one. There's not something where we could say, oh, that's a simple one. That's, that's a big one. But both of them are amazing. And yet Jesus says, he points to the one that is greater, and that is your sins being forgiven. Think about that right now. You think about all the miracles that Jesus did. And he, he, he says, let me show you something greater than even the miracle of making a man walk. It's a miracle that he would forgive your sins. That he would forgive your sins. Um, how many sins have you committed? Didn't you have a number? I was telling them in the first service that uh, we could put a computer out in uh, the lobby and we could log them in 
uh, as we show up on Sunday, there'd be like a big line and give me some time. I got something, you know, I, I, I got to put them all in here. It's taken me a while. I had a rough week. Uh, that's what it would look like, right? And there's, and, and how would we know if they're forgiven that, that, to, that you would be absolutely forgiven of all your sins? It's an amazing thing. And Jesus says, this is this man's real problem. And it's not that he doesn't walk. The question is, are his sins forgiven? Which is easier? Um, Jesus says this as we look at verse 6. He says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Jesus doesn't leave us to wonder his point. He says, I want you to know that I can forgive sins. I have authority. Uh, he refers to himself as the son of man. Usually that term leans on the humanity side. And he says, me as a man, as I come, I am not just a man, but I am God come in the flesh. I am able and willing to forgive sins. And so he goes to the man and he says, rise, pick up your bed and go home. You can imagine what it was. It was a living picture, right? They saw the man be dropped in and he was brought before them on this cot. And so uh, Jesus says to him, you know, get up, take your bed and go home. Go home, walk away. And I can imagine what that what must have been like. I would have loved to have been there. And I can imagine they're in this home and there's an opening or a doorway of some sort. And as Jesus heals this man, there was probably not anyone saying anything. They were just watching. And he says to this man, rise, get up and go home. And so he does. And I can imagine them being speechless. And as this man, maybe they follow him outside of the house and they watch him walk down the road. And I, I wonder who the dumb person was who spoke first. You know, what What it must have been, the terror that must have been in them. This man, Jesus, has, I, I saw it happen. And this is their response. This is what it says their response was in verse 8. When the crowds saw it, they were afraid. And they glorified God who had given such authority to men. They were afraid. They, they were fearful. And you say, why would they be afraid it was a miracle? They would have been afraid because it was so awesome. It was so different. It wasn't like a simple, hey, take this and uh, maybe in a couple of weeks you'll get better. In an instant, he cured this man. In an instant, he forgave his sins and he was able to walk away. And, and we look at that and we go, wow, that would have been amazing. There would have been shock and fear to us. But not just that. It says they were afraid, but they also glorified God. They realized that this was a beautiful thing, that God had given the authority to this man, Jesus. And not understanding all that was going on, they realized this is something special, and they were excited. They were thrilled. 
they were fearful and thrilled at the same time. This morning, I want to tie it up, uh, this passage, with three landing points for us that really connect for us what was going on in this miracle. The first one is this, and we've looked at this word over and over again. In the book of Matthew, he brings it up over and over again because he's seeking to establish that Jesus is the king. And it's this word authority, this word authority. And I want to ask you a question. What does Jesus have authority over? Everything, everything. He, he had authority over sickness. He had authority over demons. He had authority over the wind and the sea. He had authority over this man, not just that he would walk, but that his sins could be forgiven. Jesus is the king of authority. And him being this king of authority, that makes him the king that's different. The king that's different. Have you followed another king and you say, well, no, you know, we live in the United States. We don't have kings here. You've treated others as kings. You've listened to people in your life as if they were king. You've even given in to your own passions in such a way that you considered them king. That they would dictate to you what you would and wouldn't be a part of. You bowed to them. And we have the scars to prove it. We have the scars to prove it. We can point to what's gone on in our life and we can say, that's where I went and chased after another king. That's where I allowed another king to be the ruler over my life. Jesus is presenting himself as the authority in your life and it's good for you. It's good. You say, well, I don't don't need a king. I don't need someone to tell me what to do. Maybe you feel that way, but just ask yourself the question, how's that going for you? How's that working out? You being in charge of your life, how's that going? Uh, I could speculate that it's this frustrating mess of a life. That you're fumbling and bumbling around, wondering why things aren't working out, wondering why you're lacking happiness and joy. It's real simple. Because you're not following the king that has authority over everything. The second thing I want to point out to you from this passage is that there's a right and proper response to Jesus. Turn back to chapter 8. If you weren't here last week, shame on you and we missed you. Um, But last week we looked at the passage where he cast out demons from these two men who were just lost in it. And you'd think that if in a city they had these two men that were filled with all these demons and uh, someone who would come and take care of them, uh, you'd think that there would be a sense of parade for this man. There would be a sense of response that was appropriate. This was the response to Jesus in the last miracle. In verse 34, it says this, And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, it says they begged him to leave their region. They begged him to leave. 
Get out of here. We don't want you here. They were fearful. And instead of being fearful and glorifying and praising and throwing a party for him, doing a parade, uh, making him mayor, making him in charge, bringing babies for him to kiss and love on. Instead of all the other things, what do they do? They say, get out of here. But there's a right and proper response too. In chapter 9, verse 8, Jesus heals the man and forgives his sins. And it says this, almost the identical type scenario. When the crowds saw it, they were afraid. And they told him to leave because we don't want you around here anymore. No, that's not what they said. They were afraid and they glorified God. They glorified God. And I want to ask you, what is your response to Jesus? What? I know I know most all of us here have that controlling thing in us that we want life to be on our terms. We want to be able to control it and to know what happens next. And everything is uh, something that we can expect and uh, never anything catches us off guard. There's a problem with that. You're not king. You're not king. Jesus is king and he's in charge. He's not safe for you. I I just want to tell you, that is if you want to keep going in that controlled sort of fashion. That he might uh, restructure everything in your life and you say, no, I don't like change. It's good to like change when Jesus is changing you. And you say, well, I'm I'm, I'm fearful of what's happening next in my family. I don't want anyone to mess with my family. Yeah, you should not want anyone to mess with your family, but you should want Jesus to fix your family. You should want him to be the king. It's the proper response. Jesus, I'm afraid sometimes because you do things that I don't expect and they're powerful and they're significant. But instead of pushing you away, I glorify, I glorify you. I I worship you because you're worthy to be worshipped. You're king and I am not. Thirdly, thirdly, um, and this uh, goes back to the core, the most important issue, the most important issue for you is your sin. The most important issue is your sin. Jesus uh, was not satisfied in just giving a man a meal. He wasn't satisfied in just healing physical ailments. You know, sometimes we look at those things and we say they're the greatest. Sometimes we even trust in people who say they are healers. They're healers. That God somehow made them healer with healing uh, abilities. And I want to say to those people, if you can heal people, go clean out the hospital. Do it now. If you really have powers to do it, wipe them out. Go room by room by room. Heal them. Why are you sitting at home telling me about these things? Clean out the hospital. You see, Jesus, his number one priority was healing the sickness of your sin. Your sin. And and it's your problem. It's your problem. It's my problem. It's the most important thing that I must have taken care of is that I would have my sin taken care of. 
I want to tell you that there's only one way, there's only one way that your sin can be taken care of. It's that you be forgiven through Jesus. Only one way. You can't be good enough. That whole weighing, you know, I have this many sins on this side, so I do this many good things on this side. Your life is not long enough for that to be accomplished. And even the things you do that good, most of them go over here because you're so filled with pride that, you know, it taints this. and it, It's just complicated. It can't be done. Jesus is the only answer for our sin problem. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the blessing of your word guiding us. Lord, I thank you for the history of Jesus and what he did. God, I pray that we would understand the greatness and the authority of Jesus Christ and follow after him as our only one king, the king who takes care of our sin. God, I pray for each one here that they would be confident in their relationship with you because their sins are forgiven in Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.